Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. We want to welcome you back to the program again today and thank you for joining us every week at the same time. I trust that you are getting something from this series. Uh, we have been in the deep end of the pool and we're going to stay there a little while. And, uh, you know, I, I, I sometimes think that I'm thankful to have a television and especially YouTube because we have so many people that follow us that way because it gives me the opportunity uh, to teach some things that I, I hardly have a chance to teach when I'm on the road because I don't have the same setting over and over and over again. But I can get this down and uh, find them so that you can watch them at any time. We've been doing a series on the books of restoration, Ezra and Nehemiah, we're talking about the restoration of the city, and we're talking about the Reformation, and we're talking about the restoration of the temple of God. And we've been showing you historically how that Ezra and Nehemiah were roadmaps for Reformation, and they spoke of the Reformation under Ezra and Nehemiah, but the prophets that were contemporaries with them began to pull a greater analogy from them and show how that they were, um, they were not only talking about what was happening with Sanballat, uh, with Tobiah, with Ezra and Nehemiah, and these guys, they were also some things that were talking about what would happen in the greater fulfillment of the new temple, which would be uh, the people of God in the day when Jesus would come on the scene as the fulfillment of God's ultimate salvation and rescue mission and bringing back from exile and returning into their promised land, uh, not so much a piece of real estate, but into the fullness of the promises of God. Because in Christ, all God's promises are yes and amen. And I know that that's a mouthful for you, but let me just say uh, that uh, there's no way I can go back and review everything because I have built for about 12 weeks on this. So you can go back to my YouTube channel or you can uh, listen to the audio portions on the, your Android device or on your uh, uh, iTunes because we have archived all of it there. Uh, just simply go to my website if you want to go back and review, and I encourage you to do it. I encourage you, if you're doing home groups or small groups, why not pull one of these down and listen to them and then have some discussion about them. And, uh, and I believe you'll be blessed by them because they're there, and all you got to do is just go to my website. They're free of charge, and go up to the upper right-hand corner, and there is an icon for YouTube, for uh, iTunes, and for the RSS feed. Uh, last week I was talking about how they were carried away captive into Babylon. And what we did was we showed you the parallel between the Old Testament Babylon and then you come to the book of Revelation and it's talking about the same thing Ezra and Nehemiah is talking about. It's talking about a departure and a destruction of Babylon and a coming into a new city. Now what we showed you last week especially is that the Revelation presents a series of contrasts. It has a lamb and a dragon. It has a seal of God on your forehead and has a mark of the beast. It has a bride and a harlot. It has a tale of two cities. It has a tale of uh, Babylon and New Jerusalem. It's a mystery name. Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. And last week I showed you how that this woman was drunk on the blood of all the prophets. And I showed you in Matthew 23 that Jesus correct, connects that directly to 
Old Covenant Israel and Old Covenant Jerusalem because in Matthew 23 he says to them, you that killed the prophets and stoned to them that are sent to you upon this generation will come the blood of all that have been slain on the earth from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah. Zechariah was one of the prophets that was martyred as a result of his prophetic word and that the blood of all that would come upon that generation. In Revelation chapter 17, this woman's drunk with the blood of the saints, and upon her is coming the judgment. Ezekiel tells you, chapter, I believe it is, uh, Ezekiel chapter 16 is a whole chapter full of God calling her an adulterous woman who's going after whoredoms, and that what would happen to her is that they would burn her flesh and, and uh, rampage her city. And, and it is literally a prophetic word that is kind of a Old Testament picture of what's happening in the book of Revelation of the fulfillment that takes place when the Romans come to make her naked and desolate and burn her with fire. It's a tale of God removing one city and giving birth to another city. And uh, you know, uh, just the fact that, you know, uh, uh, that the blood of all that were slain on the earth were found in her was the first thing that tells me that Old Covenant Jerusalem was the harlot city. The second thing I showed you is she comes riding on a scarlet collared beast and the Romans came into the city with scarlet collared robes on and Nero had a, was famous for his red beard. I showed you in last week's segment that he that has a mind that has wisdom uh, would see that there are five kings that had fallen, one is, and the other's not yet come. When he continues, he will continue a short space. I showed you that there were five kings and the Julio-Claudian line of Caesars. And Nero was the sixth in the lineage of these emperors. And his name had a numerical value of 666. Nero called himself the son of God. And uh, he set up a statue of himself at Agora, an image of himself. His image was also stamped. The superscription was stamped on their money with a, a beam around his head as if he were a god. And they thought themselves to be gods coming up through there and built statues of themselves. But especially Nero was the most vicious. He wore animal skins. He attacked uh, Christians. He burnt them at the stake. He used them for candles in his garden. He murdered his own mother. He murdered his brother. He was a persecutor of Christians and killed many of these uh, prophets uh, that God was sending, not prophets, but he sent like Paul the Apostle and, and James. And many of these people were martyred under this Roman emperor. And he was the sixth in the line of Caesars, and he was the beast. His name had a number, a value of 666. He set up a statue of himself at Agora, forced the people to burn incense to him and worship him as a god, and then they would take the ashes and put it on their hand or their forehead, and then they would give him a writing of a libellus or a paphras without which they could not buy or sell in the marketplace. They had to change their money for Roman money, which had a picture of their god, Nero Caesar, on it, that without such they could not buy or sell in the marketplace. That alone should be worth watching this program so that you could at least consider the possibility that the mark of the beast may not be something in your future. It may very well be something in your past. Here's what I'm after. The tragedy is if Old Covenant Jerusalem and Old Covenant sin, that old temple was removed off the scene and God gave birth to a new covenant, then why would we want to go back to Babylonian captivity? 
This woman is called the mother of harlots. There are other harlots, and religious systems afterwards have come that are harlots, but the mother of harlots originated with this woman. And I'm going to give you more evidences that she is in fact the harlot that Revelation was talking about, and the adulterous woman who refused to realize that she'd killed her own husband, and says, I sit as a queen, and I am not a widow. She cried, crucify him, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar, and Israel rejected her coming Messiah. God stepped out of that covenant because he, through the death, burial, and resurrection, he was free to be married to another, and so are we, and so that we can have a new bride. So there's a removing of that old city Jerusalem and a birthing of the new Jerusalem, the city that cannot be hid, a city built on foundations of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being chief cornerstone. I'm, I, that's some glorious news to me. But see, the thing that I'm concerned about is that a lot of people want to go back to Judaism. They want to go back to that old bondage. They want to go back to that old Babylonian confusion. And the Scripture calls this woman in Revelation a harlot because she goes back and she refuses again, as I shared with you in one of the earlier segments, uh, uh, Israel was carried away captive by the Babylonians by Nebuchadnezzar because she refused to keep Sabbath. I'm concerned that we're living in an hour when we are wanting to return back to a works-based religious system that's full of performance and we're not keeping Sabbath. And the Sabbath is not a day of the week. It is rest in the finished work of Jesus Christ because we refuse to come into the new covenant. And there is a movement that wants to take us back into the whoredoms of the past and live under bondage of Babylonian captivity, but whom the Son sets free is free indeed. And I believe that you can also see in the book of Galatians, the book of Galatians talks about a contrasting of two cities. The physical Jerusalem and the spiritual Jerusalem. It calls one of them Hagar and one of them Sarah. And if you go back and read out of the Amplified Bible especially, it tells you that this city, again, these two cities, is Old Covenant. See, I, what I'm after is, I'm trying to get us to understand that we need not go back to the Old Covenant. There is no other way in except through the, the door of the sheep, which is Jesus Christ. When we get to the gates of Nehemiah, we're going to talk about the sheep gate. There's only one gate in, and that's through the door, which is Jesus. He's the door into the sheepfold. But what I want you to see, I, I, let, me, let me just jump out of Revelation here. Let me go back. I, I've, I've used this scripture a lot, but I feel like I need to use it again today. Galatians 4, and I'm going to read to you from the Amplified Bible because it really makes it very clear, again, about the tale of these two cities. He uses so many metaphors to describe the same thing that sooner or later, I think we're going to get it. Now, let me just go here and show you this. Verse 21 says, Tell me, you who are bent on being under the law, will you listen to what the law really says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by the bondmaid and one by the free woman. But whereas the child of the slave woman was born according to the flesh and had an ordinary birth, and the son of the free woman was born in fulfillment of the promise. Now all this is an allegory. These two women represent two covenants. One covenant originated on Mount Sinai, where the law was given and bears children destined for slavery. This is Hagar. So he tells you this first woman is an allegory of the Old Covenant. 
These are two covenants. One covenant originated from Mount Sinai. That's where God gave the law and bears children. Anybody that's under the law, still, still under an old covenant paradigm, is destined for slavery. That's Hagar. Then he goes on and says, now Hagar is, stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, and she corresponds to and belongs in the same category with the present Jerusalem, for she is in bondage together with her children. So he's telling you that the present Jerusalem is Mount Sinai, it's Hagar, it's the other woman, it's the other city. For she is in bondage together with her children. But Jerusalem above, the messianic kingdom of Christ, is free and she's our mother. For it is written in the scriptures, Rejoice, O barren woman who has not given birth to children. Break forth into a joyful shout, you who are not feeling birth pains. For the desolate woman has many more children than she who has a husband. But we, brethren, are children not by physical descent, as was Ishmael, but like Isaac, we were born in virtue of the promise. Yet as at the time the child of the ordinary birth, born according to the flesh, despised and persecuted him who was born remarkably according to the promise and the working of the Holy Spirit, so it is now. But what does the Scripture say? Cast out and send away the slave woman and her son, for never shall the son of the slave woman be heir and share the inheritance with the son of the free woman. So, brethren, we who are born again are not children of the slave woman, the natural, but of the free woman. This is a tale of two cities, a tale of two women, a tale of two covenants, a tale of two brides. One is old covenant Israel and genders to body and corresponds to the natural Jerusalem. The other is the messianic kingdom, which is our mother. We are a part of the new Jerusalem if we are born again. You can do whatever you want to with your covenant, but I refuse to give up my inheritance because Galatians says the, the son of the slave woman will never be heir with the son of the free woman. Revelation, the third chapter, tells you, for him that overcomes, he says, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. He will go no more out, and I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem. He's talking to the overcomer there. To him that overcomes, you're the city of God. We're built on the foundation. I am excited to announce the release of my newest book, titled The Great I Am. In this book we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. Every time he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought that the bread that fell in the wilderness was the true bread, but Jesus says to them, your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and are dead, but I am the true bread. They thought Moses and the law was the door to the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. As you read the pages of this book, you will truly discover the faith that replaces fear and that believing you will have life through His name. You will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. You will rediscover that He is the Great I Am. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today. Foundation of the Apostles and Prophets, Jesus Christ Himself being chief cornerstone. We're a city set on a hill that cannot be hid, Jesus said. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel. In Hebrews the 11th cha chapter, Abraham looked for a city whose builder and maker was God. But in Hebrews chapter 12, he says, For you did not come to Mount Sinai. You didn't come to blackness and darkness, but you have come to the city of the living God. You've come to Mount Zion, and you've come to the city of the living God, which is New Jerusalem. So the new covenant community of faith 
is the new Jerusalem. So each one of these, the harlot is an old covenant community, the new covenant is the new covenant community of God, it is the bride, the lamb's wife. In her was found the blood of all that were slain upon the earth. And you know so many things that could be said here, and it goes on to say, uh, you know, that, that this city would be burnt with fire, and that's exactly what the Romans did. Uh, let me just read you a few things that, uh, and, and uh, that, here's a list of things that helps me connect to uh, who this harlot city is again. Number one, I've already shared with you, in her was found the blood of all the apostles and prophets that were slain. She was the one that martyred them all. In Romans, uh, or in Revelation 17:9, the seven mountains refer to Jerusalem, not Rome. The seven mountains upon which Jerusalem was built were Mount Zion, Mount Ophel, Mount Moriah, Mount Bezetha, Mount Acre, Mount Garib, and Mount Goath. Some might ask, if the whore of Jerusalem, how could uh, the beast Nero Caesar Rome? Would not the beast be someone who rules over Jerusalem? The answer is that Caesar did rule over Jerusalem. And the highest of religious authorities in Jerusalem and all the Jews living in Jerusalem even admitted that Caesar was in fact their king. So there's a lot of proofs here, but in Revelation chapter 11 he uses another metaphor. He tells you that the woman is located where Jesus was crucified. Where our Lord was crucified was not uh, was, was in Jerusalem. That's where our Lord was crucified. That city was in Jerusalem. And he calls her the city which is spiritually called Sodom and Egypt. And I've talked about that in great detail, but Jesus also Himself began to speak concerning uh, one of the cities He went, He said it would be more tolerable in the day of judgment for Sodom and Gomorrah than it would be for them, because if Sodom had saw what they saw, they would have repented a long time ago. In other words, He keeps on connecting dots to Old Testament pictures that are trying to get them to see New Covenant realities. The woman was the dwelling place, becomes a river of blood. That's in Revelation 14. The woman is split into three divisions. Whenever they seized the city, what happened was they were split into three segments to take that city. The woman rides the scarlet collar beast. The woman is the mother of harlots and atrocities. The woman is drunk on the blood of the saints. The woman is responsible for the death of the prophets and apostles. The woman sets on seven mountains. The woman is the dwelling place of devils. Jesus says to the children of Israel, you are of your father the devil. He warns, Paul warns them about the synagogue of Satan. And uh, uh, the, the woman in, in Revelation 18 is the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and bur hateful bird. And I could just say this even concerning the spear of the Roman soldier had the banner on it was the spear of an unclean bird, of the vulture. It was literally the cage of every unclean spirit, the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. Uh, the woman has a cup full of iniquities. The woman is doubly judged. The woman considers herself a queen. The woman still considers herself to be married. The woman was rich and mourned when she was judged. The woman merchandised the souls of men. The woman is pronounced desolate. The woman's sound of joy is taken away. 
No more sound of, of celebration. No more sound of marriage. No more the sound of mirth is now heard in her in fulfillment of the curses of Deuteronomy because the book of Revelation is God keeping His end of the covenant bargain of all the curses of Deuteronomy coming upon them and the plagues of Egypt coming upon them because they refused to come out of that bondage and make another exodus of which Jesus was the true leader out of the exodus of another kind of bondage which was spiritual bondage. And he was leading them into another promised land called rest. It's not an accident that even on the Mount of Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah speak to Jesus concerning his decease. The word decease there is the Greek word exodus. Jesus was leading them out of an exodus of an old covenant bondage and into a new covenant of freedom. Uh, the woman's position of creativity is taken in Revelation 18. The woman's authority as someone equipped to judge is removed. The woman's light-bearing ability is snuffed out. The candle's removed from her. Uh, the woman's bridegroom uh, has divorced her in Revelation. I showed you that in Revela uh, the book of Jeremiah where God gives Israel a writing of divorcement. The woman's engagement marriage has been annulled or abrogated in Revelation 18. The woman is called the great city in Revelation. The woman equals Jerusalem. The most compelling evidence is that the woman is Jerusalem is that the Scripture says it's where Jesus was crucified. Compare Jerusalem before her judgment and after her judgment. But what you see is upon the immediate uh, divorcement and destruction of natural Jerusalem. He says, Hallelujah, now is come salvation and the kingdom of our God and His bride has made herself ready. It is a city upon which was being destroyed, but God was opening the gates to a brand new city, and He was about to restore something that would not be uh, one of captivity and bondage. He wanted to bring us into a new covenant relationship, into this uh, remarkable uh, fullness of salvation, and the bride had made herself ready. Listen, I'm going to tell you, we need to celebrate that. Because what happens is, is I believe the restoration that God is bringing in this hour is a restoration based on the new covenant. I don't know about you, but I refuse to be carried away captive into Babylon again. The Bible speaks when they were in Ezra and Nehemiah how that they literally spoke half the language of the Chaldeans and half the language of Babylonians. They had been in religion so long that they were confused. I believe that's where we're at in this hour somewhat, is that here we are 2,000 years into the new covenant, and we are wanting to go back to an old covenant paradigm. And I believe that the roadmap to Reformation is going to tell us we need to go back and relay some foundations. We need to restore the old gate and come back to some truths that need to be reiterated. I think we've deconstructed so long that we don't know how to chip the old concrete off of the heaps of rubbish and revive out of the heaps the stuff we need to save and get rid of the stuff we don't need any longer because I believe we're living in a day of great restoration. And, uh, you know, I, I, and I believe that as we do that, we're going to find ourselves moving into a greater fulfillment of God's blessing and restoration. Let me just read this to you from the book of Haggai. This will set the stage for my, probably some of my next segment. I trust this is making sense to you, but uh, this is Haggai, who's a prophet who's working with Ezra and Nehemiah, and they're rebuilding the house, but it has, it's come to almost a standstill. 
And Haggai 1 says, On the first day of the sixth month of the second year in the reign of King Darius of Persia, God's message was delivered by the prophet Haggai to the governor of Judah, Zerubbabel, son of Sheatal, to the high priest Joshua, the son of Jehozadak. A message from God of the angel armies. The people procrastinate. They say, this isn't the time to rebuild my temple, the temple of God. Shortly after that, God said more, said, and God said more, and Haggai spoke it. How is it that it's the right time for you to live in your fine new homes while the home God's temple is in ruins? And then a little later, God of the angel army spoke again. Take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. You spent a lot of money, but you haven't much to show for it. You keep filling your plates, but you never get filled up. You keep drinking and drinking and drinking, but you're always thirsty. You put on layer after layer of clothes, but you can't get warm. And the people who work for you, what are they getting out of it? Not much. Leaky, rusted out buckets. That's what, that's what, why God of the angel armies said, take a good hard look at your life. Think it over. Then God said, here's what I want you to do. Climb into the hills, cut some timber. Bring it down. Rebuild the temple. Do it just for me. Honor me. You've had great ambitions for yourselves, but nothing has come of it. The little you have brought to my temple, I've blown away. There was nothing to it. And why? This is a message from God of the angel armies. Remember, because while you've run around caught up with taking care of your own houses, my house is in ruins. That's why, because of your stinginess. And so I've given you a dry summer and a skimpy crop. I've matched your tight-fisted stinginess by decreeing a season of drought, drying up fields and hills, withering gardens and orchards, stunning vegetables and fruit. Nothing, not man nor woman nor animal or crop is going to thrive. Then the governor Zerubbabel, son of Sheatal, the high priest uh, Joshua, son of Jehoshadak, and all the people with them listened, really listened to the voice of their God. When God sent the prophet Haggai to them, they paid attention to him. And listening to Haggai, they honored God. Then Haggai, God's messenger, preached God's message to the people. I am with you. That's the word of the Lord. This is how God got Zerubbabel, Joshua, and all the people moving, got them working on the temple of God, of the angel armies. This happened on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. I believe that once again, these are words, now I don't believe we're going back up under the curse. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. But I do believe that we are standing in an hour when God is sending prophets and apostles to say, it's time to arise and build. I think it's time that we take a good hard look and say, what do you mean it's not time to build the temple of the Lord? We live in our houses, and we have lived well, and God's blessed us, and we've had the favor of God on our lives, but somehow or the other we have, we have left the temple of God not in, 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 in the shape it needs to be. And again, I'm not talking about buildings. I'm talking about building up the people of God in a new covenant paradigm and, and seeing the city of God come out of heaven into the earth. Remember in Revelation 21, the city, New Jerusalem, is coming down from God out of heaven. And I believe God is, is stirring up prophets like Haggai, and He's saying, it's time for us to arise and build the house of God. We have been distracted by so much stuff, folks, and in the midst of this pandemic, we have looked back to say, what is really important? And even the church has been deemed non-essential. But I believe when we arise and start to build, we'll be so essential that they'll need us, and they'll come back and, and, and re restore and rebuild the temple of God, and God's glory will return to the temple of God, and a river will flow out of it like He declared. I am out of time on this segment again, but join me again next week as we continue to unpack this. 
We do need your help. And you know one of the things this scripture says is, is listen, you need to, he says, you know, you, you, you spent a lot of money, but you've built your plates, but you've not really been stingy where God's concerned. I don't believe God's interested in stingy people. If you've been blessed by this message, then sow a seed into it. Help us to rebuild this house in the city. You can do it by going to my website. There's a place where you can give via credit card or you can call the number on the screen or you can send a check or money order and we will be glad to help you with that. God bless you. I am excited to announce the release of my latest book titled The Great I Am. In this book, we will explore the seven times in the Gospel of John that Jesus says, I am. When he uses that phrase, it is always in contrast to something from the Old Covenant. For instance, they thought Moses and the law was the door into the sheepfold, but Jesus said to them, I am the door. They thought that Israel was the true vine, but Jesus said to them, I am the vine, you are the branches. As you read the pages of this book, you will discover that Jesus removed the covenant of death and replaced it with the covenant of life. Get your copy of the book, The Great I Am, today.